This is People Who Play, a show about the art of playful living. I'm Emma Warrillow, researcher, writer and part-time mermaid. And I'm Ben Martin, content creator and nostalgia junkie. Join us once a week as we discuss our playful approach to parenting, work and marriage. Plus, look out for extra guest episodes. We believe that fun should be part of the everyday and we are here to support any grown-ups who want to grow down and avoid the onset of serious-itis that kicks in in adulthood. Find me on Instagram at playful underscore den. And if you'd like more of my content, you can subscribe to my Patreon. Just search for my name, Emma Warrillow, and get access to exclusive podcasts, insights and updates. And for all your retro feels, find me on Instagram at BenFlyingRetro. We really do appreciate all your likes, subscribes, follows and shares. These digital high fives really mean a lot to us and help us to grow the show. Okay, let's get on with the episode. It's playtime. Hello, welcome to a guest episode of People Who Play. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. I am speaking to Mitchell Wu. He is a toy photographer. What a title. I would highly recommend that you go and have a look at some of his creations before listening to this conversation because it will give you a lot of context and also a lot of joy. He creates sort of special effects, immersive stories really through using toys and various different imaginative techniques to bring them to life. It's really fun go and check it out you can go to his instagram at mitchell woo photography or his website mitchell woo toy photography.com but let me tell you a little bit about him before i let you into this discussion mitchell is based in los angeles and he started toy photography he'll tell you in the conversation um after becoming a wedding photographer and he was experimenting with taking pictures of toys with one of his family members and then just spiraled into his career. His clients now include people like Walt Disney Company, Marvel Entertainment, Sony Pictures, Warner Brothers, Hasbro, Mattel um, and many more. And you can also watch a documentary about Mitchell. He's in this documentary series currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. It's called Marvel 616 Unboxed. Um, I watched it with my kids. We loved it. It's really fun. We do a lot of toy photography in our family. I highly recommend it as a way to keep kids playing, older kids, kind of extending that action figure play, which Mitchell and I talk about. And I just think the other great thing about this conversation is that Mitchell describes himself as the king of the career pivot. (laughs) And I'm always fascinated to talk to people who have pivoted their career and followed their creative passion. And you can hear the gratitude in the way that he speaks about his art and what he's doing now. And he's just having the best time and earning a living doing it. And those are always inspiring conversations. So here is the conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. Please follow, subscribe, share this episode. And yeah, let me know what you think. And maybe you'll be inspired to have a go at some toy photography. 
Mitchell, hello. Welcome to People Who Play. I am so excited for this conversation. Thank you so much, Emma. It's um, amazing to be here and it's amazing to chat from here in Los Angeles to you all the way in England. Yeah, you are in LA, sunshine, sunshine state. It's 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 about minus four, I think, here today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's chilly. We've been chilly as well. Um, it's a little chillier than normal. I don't know if it's climate change, but and then in the evenings, we've been getting down into the 30s. So that's pretty chilly for Los Angeles. That is. Yeah, yeah. we are coming out your way, actually. Our oh, nice. family are going on tour this summer, uh, Central America, and then to LA, we fly home from there. Oh my gosh, that's cool. Yeah. Are you going to, when you say family, you have kids, are you going to take them to Disneyland and all three that? Three kids, they are three, nine, and 12. The eldest is super into skateboarding. So okay. we've spent quite a bit of time in California when I used to work a lot out in the US. And right. he is just he looks around Venice Beach and he says, Mum, these are my people. And I look around <laughs> and I say, Oh, good God. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Well, I'm sure he's just referring to skate people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, we, we do love it there. Yeah. We're excited. We're excited to come back. I have so much to chat to you about on this podcast. I love exploring themes like uh, childlike wonder, imagination, connecting with our own curiosity. And your art has all of that in. It's so playful. It's so joyful. So I can't wait to get into how how it comes to life and the sort of process behind it. I'd love to start actually, Mitchell, by asking how you played as a kid. I think it's really interesting with my guests, especially those that have gone on to creative careers, how you played as a child. And do you see any of that formative play stuff show up in who you are today? Absolutely. Um, I think who I was and who I played or how I played as a child really translates um, exactly to what I do right now. And it really contributed to um, the imagination, the use of my imagination today, which wasn't always the case um, prior to being a toy photographer. You know, I had corporate jobs and it wasn't, it, the, the, the imagination wasn't used quite the same way or to the extent that it is now. Uh, when I grew up, I grew up in the 60s, 70s, and, you know, we didn't, I, I certainly didn't have all the toys that are available now. So, I was, especially the electronic, obviously the electronic toys, the phones, the games. Um, most of my time was spent outside in the backyard or at my friend's backyard. I grew up just outside of San Francisco and we had like a lot of pine, like tall pine trees in our backyard that also extended across the neighborhood. And if I wasn't playing in the dirt, I was absolutely climbing in the trees. And it was wild. I think back, I could actually, my friend and I, um, who lived around the corner up the street on another street, I could get to his house without touching the ground just by going through the trees. Wow. So that was, yeah, that was really cool. I mean, it was um, a very different childhood than like my, even my own daughter had when she grew up just because we don't have as many trees here. She, and she had, and she also had some of the games that were starting to come out at that time. So, but I was strictly playing in the dirt. I had toys. I had, um, I, I played with GI Joes and the matchboxes and then eventually Hot Wheels and really, you, when you came home from school, you know, you didn't, I didn't really care about homework. I just wanted to play with my friends and I wouldn't go back inside the house until I heard my mom, you know, yelling, it's Mitch, it's dinner time. So then that's when I would go in and probably do some homework at night. But the daytime after school was focused 
purely on play. Whenever I see kids playing outside today, it really, I mean, it's, it's heartening to see that because mo- um, as you know, many kids today, they have their faces, you know, yeah. buried in some kind of electronic game. So, yeah, yeah. So I absolutely, I like to talk about like, you know, when I was a kid, we'd go on these summer trips and we'd had the station wagon. And if you were like, I had two older brothers and if you were lucky, you were the one that got the very back of the station wagon. And this is the time when there was no seatbelt laws. You could ride in the back <laughs> of pickup trucks. It was still like, as a kid, it was amazing. And if I got the back of that station wagon on a long trip, you'd have your suitcases, some sleeping bags some blankets. Eventually all those blankets would become a mess and, and your imagination would go wild. It's like, I'd have a couple of toys with me and I'd imagine like the folds of the sleeping bag or the the blanket could be um, slopes in the mountains or waves in the sea. And I'd have my toys fighting like sea serpents or whatever it is. And now when I look back at the way I played then, I think I basically just traded in the back of that station wagon for my photo studio because I'm using that same sense of imagination and play. I'm looking at toys and I'm looking at my environment and wondering how I can create stories and images out of that. And really that is the big difference now is that I'm not just playing and playing, I'm using my imagination and I'm capturing that on on film, which which is digital, but yeah, I'm capturing it to create images with, but it's that same, it really is that same sense of imagination. And as you grow older, most people lose that. They lose that sense of play. They They lose the interest or ability to make believe to create imaginative stories. And I'm no different. Like as I got older, I, I obviously I stopped playing with toys. I wasn't a toy collector. I wasn't a toy enthusiast. Um, I started working. I went to school. I have a degree in illustration. So I've always been kind of creative, but never to the extent that I am now. And it was just really interesting how when I discovered toy photography, it, it reconnected me with that whole um, ability to create stories and imagine these different worlds and situations that I could put these toys in. So it's very much like um, going back to like play as a kid, really, for me. Yeah, uh, so much in there I want to pick up on. But I want to start with the action figure play and that sort of using the G.I. Joes or whatever they might be to tell stories. That particular play pattern, um, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, but was also really prevalent in that time as well. I don't know if it is quite so much now. It still exists. I think kids drop out of it maybe a bit younger than perhaps you would have or I would have. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that, like if you have observed that yourself as a a parent or just sort of someone who's in the toy industry. And what is it specifically about that play pattern with action figures that you think is so good for us, so good for our creativity and imagination? Yeah, I think um, you said the words right there, creativity and imagination. I think when you have toys, um, physical toys in your hands, you're basically forced to create your own stories. And and even though you're given, say, a G.I. Joe, a dinosaur, and a vehicle, even those are though even though those are three very different um types of toys and they're their own properties when you give those to a kid it doesn't matter to them that they're separate they will take those three and they'll start playing with them together and creating their own stories i was i had a contract in a relationship with um schleich uh the dinosaur they do a lot of wildlife um toys dinosaurs 
I did a pro I did a campaign for them called the power of imagination. And the whole, and this was like the whole idea behind that campaign was, was the value of real play. Um, and to start it off, they got a bunch of kids together in a room and they videotaped, they videotaped them playing with just a bunch of their, of the Schleich toys that were out there. It was um, unstructured. They just let them do what they do and they captured it on video. And then I got to watch the video and I was able to choose um, certain stories that the kids that I thought were really interesting and create images from them. But what was really mind blowing to me was watching these kids play um, and just see how effortlessly it was for them to go into these different worlds and create these different worlds where they can, where they and their toys could live and create these different adventures. And then all of a sudden, like maybe an adult would walk by or say something and they'd snap out of it and they'd interact with the adult for a second. And then just like that, they'd go right back into the, into that world that they created or maybe even a different world. So I think that is the difference between what playing with actual real physical toys and how it compares to like the electronic world or burying yourself into um, a movie or a TV show is that you're basically force fed these narrative narratives about what the story is and what the characters are and what they do, what their powers are, for, for example, for a game. So it's less about using your imagination to create these stories and what like powers you might imagine a dinosaur to have or a character, a, a superhero, even though it's maybe you don't even know. Maybe it's just a just say it's like a, um, a generic toy. You're going to assign these automatically a kid will assign these attributes to this character and it becomes like to them a real person with these certain personalities, maybe powers. And you just don't really get that so much with the electronic games or a movie because you're told how these characters are basically and what the story is. So yeah, I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah. It's like you're, you're given the start point, but nothing else happens unless you start filling it in. Sometimes I call it like blank canvas play, almost like mm -hmm. the toy or the little figure you've got is like your pencil, but then you go off yes. and you, you write your own story. Right. Exactly. And, and I think imagination it is such, I mean, it's an innate human skill, something we all have. It's something we're born with. I think it's one of the most interesting things about humans that sets us apart from other species. But I think as you were alluding to, which I, I'd love to dig into, it's it's a little bit like if you don't keep using it, it kind of dies off a bit um, or it becomes very flat, like it just maybe comes up with one solution. It's a little bit, um, if you don't keep feeding it, it can become, yeah, weakened, a bit like a muscle, I guess. Um, and, and I think you were sort of um, alluding to there that you lost that a bit at some point um as as you became an adult would you be able to share a little about a bit about that because i think it pretty much happens to everyone and it's always fascinating to hear how people get it back yeah i, I mean it's it's interesting because i look at myself as a toy photographer the way that i came into toy photography was very atypical for toy photographers there's like a very large toy photography community and they basically live on Instagram, but there's a lot of people that enjoy this hobby. And I would say that um, it seems to me like well over 75%, maybe up to 90%. I don't think there's been a study on this, but I feel like the majority of toy photographers came to toy photography because they love toys and they love, and you know, they collected them, they're toy enthusiasts. And somehow they saw a photo, somebody took a photo of a toy in a very creative way. And that's how they got into it. Whereas I, um, I didn't have that. I didn't have that affinity for toys yeah. after I grew up. 
Um, it was something that, you know, I bought my kid when she was growing up, but it was nothing that I ever bought my, for myself or collected. Um, so it was only th when I was introduced to toy photography that I started um, becoming more familiar with that, with that world again. I was a photographer prior to that. I, I shot, to uh, I'm sorry, I, I started shooting professionally probably around 2006, 2007. Um, prior to that, I was in like half of my career was spent doing product design and product development. And then I got into photography. I did lifestyle, corporate photography, headshots. I ended up photographing weddings for probably six or seven years, shot a lot of weddings. And then when my daughter was 2000, in 2015, my daughter was just entering high school and I didn't want to photograph any more weddings because they always happened on the weekends and I was going to miss so many activities. Same time, I discovered toy photography through my nephew. And it was only then that it's like I started picking up the toys again and seeing what was out there and reconnected with them. So, yes. So if it weren't for toy photography, I'm pretty sure that I never would have like gotten involved with toys. I never would have probably used my imagination like I am again right now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a fantastic experience just to just to be able to tap into that 10 year old kid that I used to be. Mm. It's um, it's pretty amazing. How is it? So your medium is photography and you were being paid to do that as a job. Um, it is a creative pursuit as a creative profession, shooting weddings, very different to shooting uh, toys and what you do now. How do you describe because in theory, I know I know the styles of photography are very different, but it's you're still working as a photographer. How do you explain the difference of using the same medium but in a completely different way? Like what what is that transition like? Can you put some kind of help us to understand the difference it makes using your skill set on something that sparks your imagination and curiosity? It's glorious. <laughs> It's a glorious change. I um, one of the reasons I got into no, no photographer says or sets out to be a wedding photographer. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, but like so many people, I was a photographer, and then somebody asked me, somebody that was relatively close to me, asked me if I would shoot their wedding, and I said yeah. And then I saw the things that were be done that were being done in wedding photography, and there was it was so it was so different than what was being done like 20 years ago. It was beautiful. Now the techniques are amazing. There's actually a very strong element of storytelling. I mean, the wedding itself is a story of that day. Mm -hmm. Having said that, when I, when I graduated from art school, I had this plan for myself and it, it and to make a long story short, it was to create stories through illustrations to do magazine covers, you know, maybe some movie posters, um, just, 100% creativity. And I was not so much getting that from any of the photography that I'd done. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but it wasn't really fulfilling that creative um, hunger that I had. Ever since I got out of art school, I got on a different path out of art school than I ever imagined. And I went into like product design and product development, which is not illustration. There's still some creativity involved. So to, to discover toy photography, and to me, toys are almost like, I can't even think of a better medium to tell stories with. Um, you can you can um, kind of springboard off of the character if you want, or you can mm -hmm. do something totally out of left field. It's really, it's really limited to your own imagination. 
So to be able to create stories um, with these toys and to just push myself as far as a storyteller, that has been the hugest, the most important difference between the two types of photography. One um, was a kind of like a means to an end. And one is um, the beginning of a huge creative journey for me. Yeah, that not fulfilling your creative needs uh, really resonates with me. It, it's it's something that fe- it's quite hard to explain. I'm even struggling to get my words out now, but I sometimes find myself feeling this sort of creative frustration and partly for me that's also because my children are quite young so it's like a kind of time and energy thing as well but being creative for me is something that like it's almost like a physical thing like it has to be exercised and if I'm not able to meet my creative needs I just don't feel like myself right um you know my my poor wife has been through so much because I would say that I've been a huge risk taker my entire career and couple that with a restless creative and those things equal a lot of different job and career changes. So I've been through so many different jobs, but I was at Disney for six years. That was like the most fantastic quote unquote job I've ever had. Fantastic company to work. For me, it was a fantastic company to work for. But after six years, I was tired of working with the same characters over and over Um, So I left and I went to another entertainment company and I did that for a year. I left, blah, 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 so on and so on. And um, I've never been satisfied creatively, which is why I kept changing. But I am positive now that that I've discovered toy photography that I'll do this until I can't do it anymore, basically. Like if there, if I can't like um, satisfy the creative hunger that I have with toy photography, something is definitely wrong. So it makes me so happy. I, I just love it when people have just found that thing. It's, it just really, it's, I find it so satisfying. I'm like the biggest cheerleader when people are like doing their thing makes me feel so good. So I'm um, pleased to hear that. And what is it about the toy photography that encapsulates you so much I mean you said there that you can't think of a better spark to tell stories and and I see it in your work it is curiosity for me um when I see your work partly around how is the photo created it's like how how is that happening um (laughs) but also curiosity around like the story like particularly when you use characters in a way that deviates from the narrative that we know. There's something about doing that with toys that is so magnetic. Like it's it's very joyful. I don't know why. I, I wondered if, if you had any explanation of why you think toys are so great to tell stories. I mean, you hit on one aspect of it and that's, I just love to show like characters that we've either grown up with or are so ingrained in our in our minds on who these characters are i love to like like show them in unexpected ways um that is actually one of the ways that i can create stories it's one of my go-to's it's like well here we have this character and i always use this example of like darth vader he's like a, a very evil villain but is he like that 24 7 like what happens when he's like you know, back in his cabin on the death star is he is he still evil or is he actually going to let his hair well, he doesn't have any hair because it got burned off, but is he gonna is he gonna relax and just crack open a beer and just you know throw something on the on the television? Is that is like is that what he's gonna do when he's not being villainous and 
force choking people. So when you start to think about things like that for whatever character, there's almost like a gold mine of of possibilities for storytelling because it's just there's another image that I created of um of Rafiki holding up baby Simba on Pride Rock and I recreated the the scene from the from the film almost like very closely and when I posted that image you know it was people loved it and but when I, but my own personal feeling was it, it wasn't really like, I wasn't, it wasn't making me feel anything because, mm. and I think I, I decided it was because um, it, that was a scene that was iconic for the movie and the movie had already been out for over 20 years and people were so familiar with it. So yeah. I just, I just sat with that little toy on my desk for a long time, trying to figure out what else I can do with it. And then I don't quite remember how it, how, oh, I know exactly how it came up. I was looking at Rafiki holding Simba up and it looked also kind of like he was making an offering. So that's when I decided to create another image of Rafiki holding Simba up and that I couldn't change it. It was just like a little K-topper. So he's holding him up. And then I put the Rancor, which is a huge monster from <laughs> Star Wars right here. So it was almost like, it wasn't almost like the idea was that he was making an offering to yeah. the Rancor. So it was interesting how you could take one toy and just like make that one change and the whole context of the story changes. And for me, I, I think a lot of people were appalled at that image just because baby Simba is is not supposed to be an offering and not supposed to be eaten by a monster. But um, for me, it was so incredible to, to see how if you were able to kind of shift the story somewhat and look at it from a different perspective, you can come up with something completely different in a way that affects people differently. And yeah. I think that's really kind of like what the power of storytelling is. It's how you tell your story and um, how you present things. And as a storyteller, you can tell it however you want. Um, for me, I'm generally very uh, respectful of the characters. That one was probably a little further out than I would normally go, but I really, especially having worked for Disney. In fact, I was hired at Disney in 95 because they were just like, they're, they were making so much money from the Lion King. So um, I probably shouldn't have done that with. with <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it still comes good for them in the end. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, well, I th yeah, that is so cool. Um, and I think art is evidence of imagination. And I think that's why when we see how you stretch and push and change and shift those narratives, it's so much more interesting rather than you replicating something that we've already seen, someone else's imagination, essentially you're bringing right. to life. And when you do that, when you distort the narrative and, 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 and our associations with those characters, that's evidence of your imagination. And I think we are, as humans, just so attracted to seeing each other's imagination. It's really cool. When yeah. anybody ever asks for advice, like they're just starting out, I always say, you know what, because they're always wanting like um, advice on techniques or gear, but it's like, I don't even want to talk about that. I want to talk about the first thing you need to do is tell me a good story. Make me feel something, yeah. you know, show me something I haven't seen before, because I'd much rather be moved by that than see an image that's technically amazing with explosions or special effects, but it's really not telling me anything because in the end, the story is what impacts us the most and makes us, um, it makes it memorable. You know, it's like any movie or TV show, if you don't have a really good story, it's, it's not going to resonate with people. So that is like the biggest advice I have to, because if you shoot toys, the technique comes eventually, you just got to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. The storytelling is something that you need to work on. That's, that's the most important thing.
That's such good advice. And also, I think if you're looking to try this out as a hobbyist, I think that's where you will get most out of this way of playing. The, my We came across your work because my son got into toy photography um, and we watched your little documentary. Is it on Dis- Disney? Yeah, Is Disney it? Plus. Yeah, mm-hmm. we watched that. Yeah. Um, we were like, oh, my God. Um, and he started doing it. And it was so cool because he has a little action figure in his pocket um, wherever he goes. So we spend a lot of time in nature and it's just something that kept him engaged in imaginative play, even though he'd sort of, I suppose, from a cultural point of view, had outgrown that way of playing. Um, And lots of parents listen to my podcast and I couldn't recommend more trying to, you know, encourage your kids to have a go at toy photography because it extends the play with them in a way that's quite aged up. So he did start getting into, you know, lighting matches and we got smoke machine and we got <laughs> cool. dry ice. That's and, awesome. um, doing all of these setups with um yeah stormtroopers and and stuff like that. And yeah, he it was it it's so cool just to you know, be out on a walk in nature and he's just with his little Chewbacca in the brook like shooting these shots. Um, That's so it, cool. It, yeah, there's there becomes a certain age where it's just not cool to play with toys, yeah. right? Like to be in a park and just playing with your cars yeah. or whatever, especially as an adult. If you do that, somebody might call the cops on you, right? It's like, there's something wrong with this guy. He's over here playing with toys. Something definitely is not right here. But when you put it in the context of toy photography, I mean, you're it, like we had, we had talked about it. You're still using that same imagination and yep. the same sense of play. You're playing... Um, but because you're taking photographs of your toy, it's a different spin on it. And it's probably a little more socially, it's still weird to people once in a while to see, like, I have no fear or shyness of going out and shooting like in a crowded place. I did that in Japan. I was in a place where I just saw this cool location to shoot a toy and I just laid down on the ground and people were walking all over and they were like staring at me. In fact, some of them were taking photos and video of me taking a photo of my toy. (laughs) Um, but if you can get past that, it's like, it's pretty cool. And yeah, nobody's going to call the cops on you, I don't think. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to also ask you about scale, because I think this is also, as well as seeing imagination in the stories, I think there's something about scale that's quite captivating and kind of curious for us. I went to an exhibition in London called Small is Beautiful. I don't know if you've heard of it. Had loads of different artists. I saw some, I either saw a video on that or I saw photos. It was amazing. Oh, so good. Um, I went, I took my son that likes toy photography and it was just such a cool thing to take him to. And as I was going around, I was just like, God, yeah, what is it about because you work with scale and you've gone from humans getting married to toys that are quite small. I'd love to hear what you think it is about scale that captures our imagination. Yeah, I think I'm not, I don't know if I have a good answer for that, but you can almost, I mean, from, from film going to way back when um, there were movies about, I think it was one was called the incredible, I forget what the incredible journey or something where the, these they got miniaturized and they went. Oh, in the into, body. Yeah, there was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I don't know. That was an old movie, but the effects were still back then. They were like mind blowing, right? It's like, wow, look at all those blood cells going by, and yeah, yeah, and they're trying to get them. And so even from way back then, I think scale was is a huge um, 
it compels people to use their imagination and think mm. about, wow, this is this could never be, but we're seeing it happen. Um, another example might be a movie like Toy Story, which I yeah. I watched a million times with my daughter as she was growing up, which is one of the reasons I have so many photos of Toy Story in my Instagram feed. But it's um, that's kind of a combination of scale, but also the magic of toys coming to life. The idea for that movie was was brilliant, yeah. absolutely brilliant. Um, and even though and even though it's like uh, it was created in the 90s and they were just at the beginning of like their digital animation, you go back and look at it and it's like you can tell that the technology is old, but it, the story, again, is so amazing that it just holds up so beautifully. Yeah. Um, Ant-Man is another example mm -hmm. of scale and and how it just tra it, it transfixes the imagination. I don't know. It's a really good question. But for me working with toys and the scale that it's at, I can tell you that um, it's so much, it's so conducive. The scale is so conducive to being able to create different worlds and universes in a very small area. And for me, that is one of the beautiful things about working with toys. It's like, to your point, when I, sh when I photographed weddings, I was always looking for very cool backgrounds for, for like the portrait sessions that always happen during the day. And it's not always easy because you have humans that are full size, one to one scale, and it's challenging to find locations a lot of times. Whereas you have a one twelve scale um, action figure, um, you can find a spot on your porch or anywhere really to create a world that looks like an, a completely different mm. world where this character lives. So I do agree that scale is um, is amazing. It yeah. absolutely is amazing. And especially when it comes down to toys, just because of what I just said, I'm able to create different universes and worlds in a very small space and they look very believable. Yeah, I think there's a lot going on in the psyche when it comes to scale that captivate us. When I went to that exhibition, I came away wondering if scale is a really effective trigger for imagination, particularly I mean, in everyone, but I think particularly in adults, when you were describing those videos of those kids playing with those toys and how they effortlessly went from their imaginative world to their adult world, that's something that leaves us, most of us, um, in it, from childhood. And we find Definitely. it really difficult to step in and out of play as adults and find it really um, hard to be like, you know, really undistracted. And I think that when I went to that exhibition, I thought our oh, scale is a really effective trigger to get you into a, an imaginative state because it sort of forces you to think, oh, look, this is happening in this little space. And what would that mean for, for their little tiny books? Or how would they right. do this? And it, I think it's just a very like almost like a, quite an instant imaginative trigger. That was kind of my hunch that I had after going to that exhibit. That's a cool observation. That really is. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good trigger. I, I Can I go back to when you got into toy photography? It was through your nephew. Is, is he like your assistant now? Is he one in on this? <laughs> oh my God, no, he's not. He's not my assistant. He's, um, his name is Johnny and he's like, I don't know. He's one of like, um, he's very well known in the toy, toy photography community. Oh, he I'll does say it that. too. Oh yeah. In oh, I fact, didn't know that. Sorry, yeah, Johnny. In fact, yeah. <laughs> in fact, um, like if you want to go see his Instagram later, it's, um, at Sergeant bananas, S G T bananas. Okay. I will. I think, 
think that's a character from um, Ninja Turtles, but he he was he had like he was he's an adult and he <laughs> had a job that like many people, he had a job that he was not really pleased with. It wasn't fulfilling. Um, he didn't enjoy it at all. Uh, he started photographing toys and he became incredibly accomplished at it. And eventually he was able to leave that job and he's got a full time job um, as a toy photographer for a company called Super 7. So, wow, that's so cool. You're both, yeah. both so doing it professionally. He, yeah, he's he's got his dream job, I think. So, yeah. and I've got mine. So, I mean, it was in, it's incredible to see the journey that he's been on. So, so when you, so he, cause I know that he invited you to come and try out taking photos of toys when he was dabbling, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, um, he'd been doing it for a little while. He, he was not near the skill level that he is now, but, um, yeah, he invited me to go to shoot toys with him the next time I was up in San Francisco and I brought um, my camera gear because I didn't have any toys, but he lent me a couple stormtroopers and we went to a park that was close to his house and, you know, I set up the stormtroopers in the crook of a tree. So it almost looked like they were walking through a canyon. It was like an old oak tree, I think, or maybe, you, yeah, oak tree, I think. And um, it, and I took the shot and even be almost before I even saw the, the shot mm-hmm. on my camera, um, it was like a lightning bolt had hit me. And I knew from that second when I clicked the shutter that this was something I had to do. And it was the timing couldn't have been better because that was 2015, the same year that I, that I committed to not shooting weddings anymore because of my daughter, but I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew I wasn't going to shoot weddings anymore. So almost at the same time was when he introduced me to toy photography and I knew that that was going to be the career I was going to pursue. So that's, that's so interesting because I'm assuming you went along to that play date <laughs> with your nephew <laughs> not thinking oh this is going to be the thing that's going to be my career so I'm imagining in that moment you were completely in play and I wondered how important is it to continue to to play with your skill set because you were working as a photographer I know you didn't want to do weddings there but how like how impactful was that moment of just playing with your medium in a different way? I think it was super impactful. I, you know what? I had no idea, like to your point, I had seen some of his images on, on Facebook of a Ninja Turtle soaring over a Canyon or something on a BMX bike. And like most people, I had no idea how he did it. I imagined that he kept throwing his toys into the air and tried to capture it at the right moment which is not uncommon for people to think that's not how it happens. Um, But I had, he invited me up to the San Francisco next time I was there. I was in no hurry to do it because I had no idea that I was going to fall in love with it immediately. So it probably took like three or four months before I actually made it up there and went out with him with no preconceived notion. I had no idea what I was going to do. I just thought, yeah, we'll go shoot some toys and it's not, it's not going to be a big deal. It's just something to do with my nephew. And so I had no warning or um, anticipation of the impact that I would that that day would have on my life, basically. And to to look back on that moment, it's like everything changed. So, you know, it's like I'm very grateful to my nephew for having introduced it to me. I have no idea if I would have discovered it. Otherwise, toy photography has grown. Mm. It's still not huge, but it's grown. So a lot of people are are aware of it from maybe the like Disney Plus show and other things 
but even if he had, even if I had discovered it on my own, it wouldn't have been for quite a, quite a bit longer. And, Mm. um, there's something with timing that I think also has played a role in, in the career I built. I think timing was also crucial. Mm. So, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot came out of that one day. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And what sort of jobs do you get hired for now? Could you give us an example of the type yeah. of projects that you sure. that you work on? Sure. I would say that probably 90% of the projects that I work on are from for toy companies or maybe entertainment studios um, who have toy lines and they just want to get them out there on social media. You know, advertising used to be a huge thing, but especially for toys, but more and more, I feel like social media has taken up a lot of their advertising budget mm-hmm. and they're, and because that's where they know that they can reach probably a very targeted audience in a large number of them. Um, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, if somebody had seen somebody taking photos of their toys, they may have gotten a, a cease and desist letter from, from the attorneys of that toy company. But everything has changed so much that the toy companies have come to realize that toy photographers are basically giving them free publicity and free promotion to the point where toy companies will often send toy photographers free toys so that they'll photograph them, which I have mixed emotions about. I I won't do that. I I turn it down because I, because I know the toy companies know what they're getting for the cost of a few toys basically. Um, But that's, that's a different story. But yeah, I think I think things have changed to the point where I remember I did a, a Toy Story photo and and I posted on Instagram and I got a, a DM from Pixar asking me if this is my photo. And of course, you know, the the warning bells are about to go off. But then you read the next line and they say, if it is, we'd love your permission to post it on our Instagram page. So that's how 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 things have changed. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really the toy companies, I think, see the value in what toy photographers do and they um, they appreciate it and possibly even tailor some of their toys coming in development towards the toy photographers, I think. Yeah, so interesting. How do you marry that, your creative style within your work when you're maybe not working for a brand uh, where you can break more rules and have more fun and do that disruption that we talked about? How do you marry that with then working for a brand? And I've worked for, you know, most of the big entertainment companies, most of the toy brands myself, and it's not the same. (laughs) Um, It's not the same as having that freedom. How do you, how do you find that experience? Yeah, really good question. I think like probably 75 to maybe even 90% of the images you see on my Instagram are not client images. It's just personal images that I create when I'm not doing client work. And unfortunately I have less and less of that time these days because I am so busy with the clients. But when I, when I can, I love to create work or ideas I've had in the back of my head, create images from those. And really that's where I kind of play around with different techniques, whether it's special effects or different styles of storytelling. Um, those are the kind of things you might see on my Instagram account. Things that are a little more out there as far as um, that you'd never see me do with a client image. That's where you'll see me mash like mashups with different yeah. characters from different properties, which can um, lead to different types of storytelling. And it's it's what I learned through those experiences, whether it's storytelling or technique that I'll eventually probably bring to some of the client work. Obviously not to 
to the degree, especially with the storytelling, like if it's really wacky on my Instagram, um, I I don't so much get that opportunity to, to kind of infuse that that yeah. way out there storytelling with the clients. I do sometimes though. Um, but especially the techniques and the effects that I might hone on my own personal time, those will definitely make it into the client work. Yeah. I think the one example where I do get to get really crazy with client is I'm working right now with a company called Boss Fight Studio. And they're 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 a small company and they were they're creator owned. So they're their partners of that company came from they're like sculptors and painters that used to work at Hasbro. And and now they created their own company. So if you look at their product, what they carry. It's all licenses or their own person or their own IP, but the licenses they get are purely because they're fans of the properties themselves, which is why um, I'm now working with them because somebody there is a huge fan of Popeye. And when I saw like a, like a, um, like a little teaser on the Popeye stuff that they were, I, I was like, I have to find out a way to work with this company and they are hands-off. They're really hands-off for their license stuff. It still has to be um, approved by the licensor, of course but it's been very simple. And for their own IP, I can infuse that that craziness that I do in my own work, which is a lot of fun. So That's cool. It's, it's cool to be able to do that for a client. Yeah, great yeah. grief. Love that. Um, what, what advice would you have for people looking to pivot their career towards something more creative? I have recently been quite obsessed with writing career advice for generation alpha like up to date refreshed career advice for um these kids for the future um and one of my things in it was about preparing to pivot essentially like always plotting your exit strategy having pivoted myself i know that it can be such a great source of career satisfaction. I think variety is so important. And also, I think when we start off, how on earth are we going to know <laughs> what what we want to do? It's it's kind of an evolution. But to, to pivot, it costs money. Um, there's a time sensitivity around it. It can get harder the more deeper into kind of adult life you are. But I truly believe it's it's a hill that I will die on, that it is an essential part of having a fulfilled career and keeping your creativity alive. And you've done it several times actually what advice would you give to people who want to pivot their career who want to pursue a creative passion I think practically as well as kind of like more uh, more emotionally yeah you're talking to the pivot king Emma. <laughs> <laughs> tell us the ways pivot king <laughs> so um yeah I, I'm gonna basically speak from my own experience and as a photographer um, but this can apply to almost anything, especially the creative fields. I've seen both sides of the coin. So when I was a wedding photographer, I worked in probably one of the lower price ranges mm -hmm. and it was the most competitive price range to work in for sure. So anytime I met with a client and I knew they loved my work, I knew that they were going to go off and kick some more tires with other, with other wedding photographers to see if they could get a lower rate. Um, and that's a terrible place to work in because at that point you're more of a, a commodity. Mm. And I, I felt like a commodity. So like I was surviving, I was not thriving. Mm. Um, as a commodity, you have very little say in like your rate. You're not going to be able to negotiate very much. The only thing you're going to negotiate is how much of a rate cut you're going to be able to give them to get that client. Mm. And having been there, that's, uh, 
you know, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. So on the other hand, as a wedding, as a toy photographer, um, I feel like I'm more of an asset, definitely mm. not a commodity as an asset. You have so much more, um, power and control in, in, in the direction you want to take your career. Um, I have a lot more say in the rates. I set my own rates and it's up to me if I want to negotiate that rate or if I would just want to say no. Um, I say no a lot, which is something that I never used to do when I was a wedding photographer. Mm. So being an asset is, is a completely different world. And I highly recommend it to anybody mm. that is like an independent creative or almost any career, really. The big learning that I had, which I wish I knew 10 years ago, was that um, you need to find a niche or you find a, you need to find a way to differentiate. Um, and I'm speaking personally, maybe somebody else has another key, but I think I think generally as a creative, if you can find that niche and and own that niche, or if you can find a way to that's compelling um, to differ, to differentiate in a compelling way that really truly makes you different, um, that's what's going to lead you to becoming that asset. And it's going to, it could be scary. Obviously it's a risk. It's like, if I look back and how, um, how quickly I knew and decided to just jump right into toy photography, there was no, there was no roadmap. There was nobody that had, as far as I knew that had done that at the time that created a full-time, especially independent career as a toy photographer. And I'm not talking about toys on a white backdrop that you would let people yeah. do for Amazon. I'm talking yeah. about storytelling, creative toy photography. Um, but as I said, I'm a huge risk taker. And that was an extreme niche because it was so extreme. I didn't know anybody doing it. Mm. Um, but that led to me creating that niche and being a name that would constantly come up if somebody was looking for a toy photography. Like if you Google toy photographer, I'm like on that page, I'm like at the top of that page and I'm sprinkled throughout that first page with yeah. different things. And that's been so valuable to mm. me um, from a career standpoint, because mm. if somebody Googles toy photographer, I'm going to come right up on page one. So it's been huge. So my biggest advice, well, I have two pieces of advice. One is to find that niche or find that way to differentiate yourself. Don't if I was still a wedding photographer, I would differentiate myself by specializing, you know, for example, in pet pet weddings. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of people nowadays who, I mean, people love their pets, their dogs, and they often have them participate in the wedding. I would like niche down and be that that pet wedding photographer or cosplay is such a huge thing these days. Mm. And I know there's cosplay weddings um, and there's got to be enough of either one of those to build a career around if you consider the United States and the world. Yeah. Um, but even as a regular photographer working in my extremely competitive price range here in Valencia, California, there was, there was probably two dozen other wedding photographers that were at least the same caliber as me in my small town. And there was a couple that were like well-known, I would say famous wedding photographers in my town as well. So unless you find a way to differentiate or niche down in any kind of industry, it's going to be tough. Yeah. It's going to be tough. Yeah. The second piece of advice I have is, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, oh man, you know, they're locked into a job they hate, right? Which is not uncommon. And they're saying, oh, I wish I could do something, but it's too late. I'm in my thirties or maybe yeah. even forties. And it's like, 
are you kidding me? It's like I switch. I made a switch when into toy photography when I was in my 50s. And, you know, at an age when some people, some of my friends or family were actually thinking about retiring, you know, similar age. You you can't say that there's any age really that's too old to make that change. Like if you're miserable in your job and you feel like you're going nowhere and you're bringing that miserable attitude back to your home, to your family, it's seriously time to find something else that you've, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's seriously time to start looking to do something that's meaningful to yourself um, that you've, that you want to wake up every day to do that you're excited to do. Um, because I did it, I did it. And, but it took me like what, 50 years to do it. So I wish I could have done it when I was 10 years, 20 years earlier, but um, you know, I did it in my fifties. And so anybody that says they can't do it because they're 30 or 40, they're just, they're just denying themselves the opportunity to become extremely happy. I think that is such good advice and is so inspiring. And I think especially because a lot of my community are parents, specifically mums, and it can feel like when you take time out to have a child and, you know, you go through this massive transition, your career can feel like you, it can just feel like you, you you're not on your game or you've you you're not sort of relevant anymore and it's it's really frustrating and I would love people to really take that away from this conversation because if you're like 40 in theory you might still have like 20 30 years of working like you could actually have three different careers in that time and to sort of see that time as an opportunity to do more of the things that light you up such good advice and really inspiring to hear that this will happen to you at at this stage of life um for you Mitchell thank you so much for this conversation I have loved it it's been everything from exploring creativity to pursuing pursuing your dreams and everything in between um, I really appreciate your time and it, it's been brilliant chatting to you thanks so much Emma I mean it was a I don't know how long we talked but it was a, it flew by it feels like a couple minutes I know I it's could, been an, it's I could been go on longer I know yeah, which is a good sign which we is a really to good do sign another one. where can the to. people find you my website is a good place, www.mitchellwutoyphotography.com. I just basically say what I am. That's my the name of my company, <laughs> Mitchell Wu Toy Photography. And from there, they can find me. They can link to my different social media accounts. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emma. I really appreciate it. Have a great night. <laughs>